episode of our Bulls podcast. I'm George Eisner, also known as Easy Eyes, and I'm joined by three of Bloggable's finest, Tyler Pleiss, Jacob Bixhorn, and joining us for the first time this week is our fourth co-host, Jake Weiner. What's going on, guys? Not much. Hey, George. Good Good to get back on the pod. Excited to be here. It's great to speak with all you guys again. I know we've got a little bit to talk about now that the season's finally underway. We're six games in. I thought we could start by going over the first three wins the Bulls had. Um, I unfortunately did not have the pleasure of seeing them as I was out last week traveling um, on the night of the opener. I couldn't believe when I checked my phone and uh, while I was on the road and I saw the Bulls had beaten the Celtics, I was shocked, especially because I think a lot of us last time we talked – we took a very pessimistic view of saying this team could easily be one and five at this point, but I three and three, I'm pleasantly surprised. So looking at those first wins, I was wondering if you guys could maybe talk about um, some of the good things that you guys saw um, from those first three wins for the Bulls that uh, hopefully become a continued trend uh, over the course of the season. So Tyler, why don't you start with what you saw? Yeah, I think the the first thing I noticed was just the pace that everyone was playing with. Um, one thing that Fred struggled with, especially with Derrick Rose last year, was getting the ball up the floor um, quickly. It was something they kind of fought back and forth together a lot throughout the season. And um, something that it was very obvious, you know, looking at those first three games, once guys got the defensive rebound, they're looking straight to Rondo um, to outlet the pass and run with them. And as a result, we saw a lot of easy looks in transition. Um and just, you know, it just generated more offensive flow in the half court. Um, you look at their first three games, they shot over 40% from three in each. Um, their assists were up. They had, let's see here, 25 assists in game one, 34 in game two, and 26 in game three. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of ball movement. It wasn't stagnating in the half court, which is good and, you know, better to see than the last two years. Um, so we did see improvements, you know. The ball's moving. The pace was good. They're hitting shots. Um you know, and we honestly got to see what this team could be, um, you know, a fast paced, you know, a dynamic team and um, actually pretty fun to watch, to be honest with you. Uh, Jacob, what did you think about Robin Lopez replacing Pau Gasol over the course of these first few games? Uh, you really can't get two more different players just in the sense that Gasol really needed the ball a lot to be effective. Uh, the He sort of, you know, was an offense unto himself, whereas Lopez really fits more into, like, uh, a team offense where, you know, he's good at setting screens, and he's actually surprisingly effective rolling to the basket. He's, he's impressed me with his hands, uh, catching the ball uh, in the pick and roll and being able to finish. Uh, he's been great uh, on the offensive glass. The Bulls are collecting something like uh, like 38% of their offensive rebounds when he's on the court, which is, uh, which is a crazy amount of offensive rebounding. But he does have, just like Gasol, some very uh, easily noticeable limitations when it comes to defense. Uh, he, is really, he really struggles to come out and defend uh, bigs that can shoot a little bit. So we saw that with Porzingis in the Knicks game. And we ran into that with Miles Turner getting a lot of open looks uh, in this most recent loss to the Pacers. And while he 
he's good at sealing off the lane and he's good at you know preventing the ball handler from getting to the basket uh it's not like an uncommon thing for teams to be able to trot out shooting from their bigs and it's going to be something that opponents exploit whenever they're uh as much as they can whenever lopez is on the court what, what stood out to you um the most jake in these first three wins that the bulls had to me the number one thing that stood out to me was the way that they were moving the ball on offense and getting everyone involved we talked a lot in the offseason about how they were going to have a lot of problems with their floor spacing given the lack of shooting and we definitely thought that would be exacerbated by starting taj gibson rather than nikolai miritich in the starting lineup but in the first few games at least the bulls were able to do a really good job using off-ball cuts good passes uh, good, good screens to really get open and keep the ball moving and get the offense going. That's definitely been the most noticeable difference compared to the, the last few games where they've obviously lost. Uh, the ball has stopped a lot more, and they've kind of lost that pace that they were playing with. They're actually all the way down to, I believe, 25th in the NBA in pace. So they're really not playing fast the way that they said they wanted to and they thought they could succeed at, which is not really that surprising because it's it was going to be difficult for guys like Rondo and Wade to kind of keep playing the way they were in those first few games. So the beginning was definitely encouraging the way they were able to juice the offense by creative kind of actions besides just shooting. And obviously the, the shot making was huge, but it's going to be interesting to see how much they can get back to that over the course of the season with some of the older players. It is. I was pretty disappointed when I uh, started tuning into the games again this week uh, when I got back. And, you know, I'd read all these glowing things about how the offense had looked over the first three games, about how much fun it looked like the players were having and how much fun it was for the spectators to watch. And, you know, I got myself excited, And uh, which I guess as a Bulls fan you should learn by now. You should never set your expectations high for anything. You'll only be disappointed. Uh, but I, I, it looked very stagnant in the, uh, in the three games that I recently watched compared to what I had heard about. You know, there were some... There were some promising sequences. I can remember where the ball was being swung around a lot, and eventually someone like uh, Isaiah Cannon would finish off the possession with a wide-open three, and you know, I was hoping that that would kind of be the goal. But the last three games I had noticed that there had been a lot of uh, settling for jumpers, especially from Rondo, uh, which really bummed me out compared to what we could have been expecting. Um, so looking at some of these uh, box scores from the wins, one thing that I did notice is that uh, Michael Carter-Williams, who we expected after the trade to get the backup point guard role, um, he, di he did play a pretty decent amount. And I'm wondering, because you guys watched the first three games, do you think that he had a tangible enough impact on defense at least that maybe that can kind of explain why now that he's now that he's injured it's kind of led to some uncertainty in that spot and it's um, maybe made it a little more difficult for the Bulls the last three games was he making a tangible impact in those wins do you believe you know from what I saw he he wasn't making a huge impact I think that with him going down it's forced Isaiah Cannon into a larger role than. Uh, than the team would like. Obviously, they didn't feel comfortable at all with the backup point guard with just a week left in training camp. That's why they brought in Carter Williams. But it's I you know he made it like a, a three I think in that first game, um, and he does provide some versatility on defense. He's got really long arms, but I, I it's it's hard to to say oh this team is on the skid right now because they're missing a guy who 
they really, you know, played with very, very little. And I, I wouldn't pinpoint his absence as, uh, as a major cause for why they've struggled in the last week. To be completely honest, I was not impressed by his defense in the first few games. Uh, I thought he certainly was giving a better effort than some other guys like Rajon Rondo, but he definitely was getting blown by a lot and leaving the bigs in back to kind of clean up his mistakes a little too much. So I, I agree with Jacob that it's difficult for me to say that his absence could have such a big impact on the defense. I think it's more of a team-wide issue than anything we could pinpoint on one position. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys, especially Jake on that last point. I think it's more of a team thing right now, and I think even going back to this offseason, we all knew that defense was going to be kind of a big part of this team and how successful they were going to be if they could defend. And I'm looking at some stats that uh, Mark Carancelis, I hope I pronounced that right, from Bulls Confidential put up last night after their loss to Indiana. Um, through their first three games, they were fifth in defensive rating. In their last three games, they're 30th. And then their net rating in those first three games are second. And then the last three games, it dropped to 29th. And because they're not defending, you know, they're not getting those fast break points. They're not pushing the pace as much, and that's affecting their offense. So I think we're kind of seeing that trickle-down effect from them not defending well enough. And it's, you know, not letting them get into a flow offensively either. That's a, that's a great point, Tyler. I think uh, the Brooklyn game, which, you know, it's hard to take too much from playing against that team. They really, outside of, of Lynn and Brooke Lopez, don't exactly have uh, any average caliber NBA players. But in that game, Brooklyn missed so many shots, and the Bulls were so aggressive at grabbing the boards and hustling down court. Uh, there was that one awesome play where uh, without the ball did not touch the ground, and Jimmy or, uh, Taj fired an outlet to Rondo. Rondo fired across half court to Wade, and Wade found Butler for an awesome alley-oop. But uh, like Tyler said, when they're not getting stops, it's hard for them to create those easy looks on offense. I, I've been pleasantly surprised with, you, you mentioned the uh, the rebounding in the Brooklyn game, and going into the season, one of the things that I thought that the Bulls had the potential to be and needed to be if they wanted to uh, be a successful team in the NBA this year was they had to be the best rebounding team in the league. And I think they had the potential to do it, especially after they brought in Robin Lopez. But with Rajon Rondo, who even though he's he's going to be stat hunting the whole game, at least rebounds are part of that, um, Wade's always been one of the best rebounders at the shooting guard position. Uh, Butler was a phenomenal rebounder at his position as well, playing shooting guard. I thought moving back to small forward where – he'd probably be participating a little bit closer to the basket or it'd be easier for him to crash perhaps um, playing at the three spot. Uh, I thought maybe his rebounding numbers might go up a bit. And I mean, just being six, eight alone would help him get to the board. I didn't know we didn't know who was going to start at the four, but once they announced that Gibson was going to be the starter, I thought that him combined with Lopez and then the three alphas, I thought that that group had a ton of potential to be a very elite rebounding unit. And I was pleasantly surprised that through the first four games, they were, I believe they were top five in, mo in pretty much all three of the, for offensive, defensive, and overall rebounding rate. I would need to check that again. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking right now, and they, they lead the league in rebound rate. They lead the league in offensive rebound rate by 
three percentage points, which is a massive margin. Yeah, so they've been doing a very good job with um with crashing the boards, which I, I was pretty disappointed over the last two games that I watched that they they didn't do a really good job, especially against the the Knicks, who were so abysmally bad at rebounding the other end of the spectrum, and they only managed to win that battle on the glass by I think two. So I think that was something that. I thought going into the season that they were really going to need to do well, and uh, I'm I'm glad to see that over the uh, in the games that they won, they did a really good job with rebounding, and I hope that that trend continues. And I I don't see any reason why it would fall off. Uh, something that I, that I think is interesting is that these great rebounding lineups so far have not exactly translated into great overall results. So I'm looking at the like in the most five used five uh, most used five man lineups and. The starting lineup right now uh, is rebounding everything. They're rebounding 41% of their of their misses, uh, 58% overall of all of all rebounds, which is like would lead leads the league by a margin. Uh, you know, if it was for the whole team, but they that group is a negative four net rating, and a big issue part of that is they are only scoring 99 points per 100 possessions, and uh, as good at cleaning the offensive glass as Robin and Taj are, it's just so difficult for any of the perimeter players to uh, find their way inside and get easy baskets with uh, with both of them on the court. Yeah, and I think part of that goes back defensively, knowing that they maybe don't have the best spacing. You know, forcing turnovers is one thing, and that helps them kind of get out and run and kind of generate some more flow offensively. And looking at, you know, I tweeted this out earlier today um let me bring it up here for a second you know they're they're last in forced turnovers per game at only only 11 and a half and it's interesting because Hoiberg was was talking about you know putting in a more aggressive scheme defensively on the pick and rolls either trapping or hedging and to try and force turnovers to get uh, you know easy offense and we haven't seen that so far like you know they're last in forced turnovers and because of that, you know, their offense has dipped and they're just not, you know, creating more easy opportunities for themselves. So it's kind of interesting to see how those two interrelate to each other here early on. An interesting note about the rebounding, just looking at the Bulls on off court stats for the individual players. Robin Lopez has a, the Bulls have a 58% rebound rate with him on the floor and they have a 57.7% rate with Taj on the floor. But the Bulls have a 4.7 net rating when Taj is playing and a negative 4.7 net rating when Robin Lopez is playing. So I think that's a good way of showing how they're doing really well on the glass in a number of different ways. But not all of those combinations, as Jacob was pointing out about the starters, are necessarily helping them win games and outscore opponents. All right, so in that vein, one of the one of the problems that people foresaw coming into the season was that Hoiberg was going to have to find a way to stagger the minutes for the uh, Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, and Dwayne Wade in order for the offense to effectively flow and for the team to be successful. But now that we've kind of examined these issues that uh, the bigs are having, or specifically Taj and Robin, um, in terms of affecting the net rating of the team when they're playing on the court together. How do you guys think that they should stagger the bigs on the team? Uh, Jake, why don't we start with you? Well, one combination that I've been really uh, impressed with so far has been Taj Gibson at center and Miritich at power forward. I think that Gibson's done a good enough job covering uh, other kind of post players and around the rim 
and it's hitting enough jumpers and it's been active enough on the glass that the combination with Miritich's shooting and ability to kind of play a little more out on the perimeter has worked together really well. And I think the numbers back that up so far, whereas uh, Felicio has been pretty solid so far uh, as far as a, like a small backup role, but hasn't really played his way into more minutes. So I, I really think the Taj at backup center with Nico is a really a combination to lean on because the Taj-Robin Lopez combination is not really uh, the most advantageous offensively. Yeah, I would have to agree there. I mean, I'm looking at net ratings right now, and, I mean, Taj and Nico have an 18.5 net rating. They have a – their offensive rating is 122 and their defensive rating of 103. So um, I think it's something that we even talked about, like, last year. We wanted to see more of those two together, but it never happened. And I think this year what's becoming a trend is Lopez plays the entire – um, you know, first and third quarters, I believe, and he sits out the entire second, most of the fourth. Um, so I think we need to see more of Taj and Nico, and I'd also like to see more of Felicio. Um, I think right now he's only getting maybe like one six or seven minute stint in the first half, and then that's it. Um, I'd like to see him just maybe get more minutes with Nico or even with Taj and kind of see how those two work out well with each other. Um, you know, looking right now, Felicio and Nico have only played 59 minutes together, but they still have 11.2 net rating. So I just like to see him maybe start getting a little bit more minutes because I think he can do some good things, as, you know, and he's a little bit more mobile than Lopez. And, um, you know, I, I think it wouldn't hurt at all to kind of see him in a larger role maybe moving forward. Offensively, I agree. But I think Felicio, um, I think he's still working out a lot of kinks defensively, just based on what I've observed over the uh, the games that I've seen. He, in particular, one really nasty habit I notice he has is that anytime uh, someone with the ball is driving on the baseline, he always gets sucked in to uh, stop the ball when it's coming down on the baseline, and he'll just completely abandon his man who almost is always in the paint or underneath the basket and the the person with the ball will always just hit his man that uh he came off of and to get an easy basket so he's a he he really gets sucked in very easily um by whoever's driving the basket so i think that if he wants to start playing more and i think that he should because he's definitely um the best backup center option i think that the bulls have unless you want to qualify Taj as a center but I think that he would definitely need to be paired with uh, Gibson um, almost permanently kind of as a handcuff because he would need someone to pick up the slack from defensively because you obviously can't play him with Lopez I would imagine playing him with Miritich or Portis based on what we've seen would be problematic so I, I do agree I'm in that camp that I do want to see Felicio play more, but I think part of the reason that he's kind of been in that limited role as of late is because he hasn't been defensively what the Bulls need him to be in order for them to keep him on the court for extended stretches. I don't know. Jacob, what do you think about that? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that with Felicio. I, I think that he, like the situation you're describing is – fact that it's you know the big man anytime the ball handler has penetration has to make tough decisions um but if you look at the stats like the team definitely has defended better overall with him on the floor uh, i'm just looking at his on off numbers and the bulls defensive rating is 102.8 with him off the floor or with him on the floor uh the team's overall defensive rating is 107.3 uh something that in this last indiana game not a lot of bright spots but 
I thought that Felicio actually did a really good job of defending uh, Big Al Jefferson in the post with uh, without fouling. Like Big Al had some tough shots, but Felicio what, did a good job of standing up to him and and not biting on pumps and keeping his feet on the ground. Uh, in terms of of the rotation, I think that like it's 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 really difficult to do this just because Taj has been playing so well. You could say after Butler that Taj has been the second best player on the team, um, but I think that that, that for the long term benefit, uh, at least for this season, that the Bulls really should be starting Miritich to create a little bit of spacing and bring Taj off the bench for Robin Lopez. Like uh, Tyler was talking about the the rotations that Lopez has been getting, typically playing. Uh, all or most of the first quarter and then sitting out most of the second. Uh, I don't think that's a, that's the best way to use anybody. Like these guys get tired when they're in for, for those long stretches, but I would like to see Taj start on the bench and then come in midway through the quarter uh, and give Robin a breather. And like Jake was saying, the, the Taj and Nico pairing has been by far the best uh, offensively and defensively. Uh, Taj has done a great job of, of rebounding and being the big man in the middle. And that's just the group that gives them the most versatility. Uh, but, you know, I think that something that uh, has been disappointing, you know, we're talking about who, what big should play and, and who should be playing with who, is we have not mentioned one guy who I think we all had very high hopes for coming into the season. Uh, Jake, what have you seen from Bobby Portis this far? Well, I haven't really seen much of anything because he hasn't really played. Although he did have a, a pretty good showing with some garbage time buckets last night. I believe he went 7 for 9 with 16 points in that blowout loss. I think Portis definitely looks pretty confident offensively. Uh, he's a little more in control from what we've seen this year than last year, and he was kind of just jacking up every shot available. Uh, but he still looks clueless defensively. And I know that we really want to see him develop, uh, because he could be a potential piece of the future, but that's basically what part of what the Bulls sacrificed by deciding that this was a year that they wanted to keep winning. So if the Bulls' goal is to win as many games as they can and make the playoffs, I just don't know how many minutes are available for Portis because all the guys in front of him are just going to help the Bulls win more games. So it's tough for me because I think Portis needs to play more, both so we can evaluate him more and so he can grow. But I think that with the Bulls' goals, that's not really feasible right now. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing I think for a lot of young players, especially coach players, is especially defensively, is just the game is so fast right now for him. And I think he's still trying to adjust and understand all the different schemes that Boyberg and Jim Boylan are trying to implement. Um, you know, and I think the best thing for him would be to spend some time with the Windy City Bulls um, just to kind of let the game slow down for him, understand the defensive concepts that they're trying to implement, you know, and just kind of build his confidence up a little more. Uh, I think right now, especially with his role, I think that'd be the best thing for him moving forward. I do think there was one sequence uh, 
against the Knicks the other night that stood out to me when uh, he got scored over in the post by Noah, but I thought he looked very good in terms of getting back down in the post and being able to like handle himself on the block. I thought that he looked good. I mean, again, it's Noah, so it's like, oh, he defended offensive savant Joe Kim Noah. But I, I thought he looked good as a post defender, but I think yeah, he has really struggled as a team defender. And I think that was the other part of the uh, – when he came in in the fourth quarter against the uh, Knicks on Friday, that was when uh, the rails kind of came off and when the game kind of got away from the Bulls. So I do agree he's he's been pretty disappointing thus far. Um, but I don't think he's – as terrible as a lot of people say he is i don't and i don't j- just because i think that he's more capable of handling bigger guys than he's given credit for but yeah he definitely needs to get better in terms of um knowing where his head's at and knowing uh how to react to different plays on offense and helping out his teammates on defense you mentioned joakim noah what did you guys think of kind of the the first returns you've seen of joakim noah and derrick rose on their new team the knicks I thought uh, when Derek got booed the first couple times he touched the ball in the first quarter of that game, that was surprising. Like, that's the kind of vitriol that you see usually from a fan base that, you know, that's the kind of thing that, like, Raptors fans used to do with Vince Carter when he really forced his way out of there uh, in a kind of a, a really negative way. He clearly quit on the team and quit on the organization. So that's a situation where I totally get why they boo him when he touches the ball. But I was a little surprised. You know, obviously the off-the-court issues may factor into that. But, you know, you get a a sense around the city just talking to people uh, that I don't think that was the motivation. I think a lot of people in the city just think that Derek is soft. That They just couldn't stand the way that he interacted with the media uh, and I think that's what fueled a lot of the booze, and I, I was kind of disappointed. It seemed a little, uh, it seems kind of petty to, to boo a guy who, you know, his body betrayed him. I, you can't really hold that much against him. I totally agree. Uh, the one other thing I want to point out that Jalen Rose pointed out during halftime of the game on Friday was that about a month before the season started, I believe, Rose said that he already feels more love from Knicks fans than he ever felt from Bulls fans. And I thought that was – I was incredibly shocked when I heard that. I I remember hearing about it when the story broke, and I'm not sure how many other people saw that or however many other even Bulls fans. But I – once I heard that again, the booze kind of started to make sense for me again. Just not in the sense that people were just ungrateful, but in the sense that they were like, like, come on, man. We, I, I, I think that he did get some solid support from Bulls fans, even while he was, um, while he was going through his injuries. And when I, I'm sure a lot of us stood by him, but I, 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 I was pretty shocked that he got booed, and I thought it was pretty unnecessary. Even if I do think that if people wanted to boo, I think that the option for them, they, I, I wasn't going to say you shouldn't do that, but I, I really wish that people hadn't done it to the extent that they had done. Because I think uh, people said that the reaction he got was mixed, but I think it was pretty more slanted towards negative than anything else. Yeah, I, I'll just chip in real quick. I, I agree with you know pretty much everything you guys have said. Um, his quote before the season, I saw that too, George, and 
I just kind of rolled my eyes and chalked it up to another one of those Derek Rose says stuff things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with the crowd, I, I didn't understand the booing. I, I don't think it was the booing was necessarily anything about what happened this summer with his trial. Um, I, I just don't understand the booing is in terms of his role with the Bulls over the last seven or eight years. Um, if it's because he got injured, I mean, he can't control that. We all know that, you know, it's just one of those unlucky things. And I think for them to boom based off that or, you know, some even quotes in the media, I just think is kind of petty because, you know, he did him between him and Noah and even Lil Dang. I mean, those guys brought the organization, you know, kind of back to respectability, um, you know, post Jordan. So they they did a lot for that, you know, the city and the organization for him to for the fans to go out there and just boom like that. I just I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, like I'm sure it did with you guys. It makes me wonder if he got booed during the tribute video, which I think everyone that's seen that has had nothing but great things to say about it. But I think it would have been funny just being in the crowd there. And, you know, everybody was so happy with the way that, uh, you know, the Bulls said thank you in that video. But it makes me wonder if every time Rose came on screen, if people were negative. I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was necessary either to boo him when he got the ball. Like, I know that that's a thing people like to do with the supervillains like LeBron, and I'm sure Katie's going to get a ton of that this year for a lot of the road games he plays in. I mean, booing when they did the From Chicago intro, I mean, that you know, that's one thing. And I thought that it was it was really smart what the announcer did of kind of sneaking it in behind Joe Kim Noah when you knew Noah was going to get a thunderous applause so that they could kind of, you know, get some carryover uh, cheers for Rose to kind of drown out the booze. But I was, uh, yeah, I like all of you guys, I was still pretty shocked. Um, I want to I want to go back really quickly because we, we when we were talking about Bobby Portis, we were talking about guys that we haven't seen a lot of thus far. And one guy I'm pretty shocked, and I don't know, I'm not sure if he's still hurt. I don't know what's up with him. Is I, I've seen nothing from Denzel Valentine, and I haven't really heard anything either. But I'm, I'm looking at the stats, and it says he's played in five of the six games. So, I don't know, maybe you guys can shed some light on what's happened in the first three games or if he's just kind of been the odd man out so far. or What what do you guys think's going on there? I think he's in a pretty similar position to Bobby Portis right now. Uh, just simply put, the Bulls are trying to win games, and uh, although we don't necessarily think they have a championship team, they do actually have a pretty deep team with capable players in every position. And it uh, just has meant that there hasn't been a lot of minutes for Denzel Valentine to play and what's largely been a lot of close games. I think in the small time I have seen him play, um, I've been impressed by some three-point shooting, although it's obviously been a very small sample. Um, but similar to Portis, he's just really not ready defensively to contribute to winning basketball. And the Bulls don't see themselves in a position where they can afford to really let him develop on that time. So similar to what Tyler was saying about Portis may be spending some time with the Windy City Bulls. I think that could be a really good idea for Denzel Valentine, too. So it's really exciting that the Bulls finally have their own team because it's something that we've all been calling for for years because it wasn't an option in these kind of situations. So maybe now we can see some kind of, uh, you know, kind of forward progress with these guys so we don't have time to play because the team is competing. Quick, I just think it's interesting because in that first preseason game, we saw him in the rotation, one of the first guys off the bench before he rolled his ankle. And so I think kind of in that role he's in now is just kind of what's transpired from that ankle injury and just kind of getting him back into a rhythm and into a flow and just getting him reacclimated to everything. Um, 
I think just kind of a what if that I've been thinking about lately is, you know, if he doesn't roll his ankle, you know, what's his role right now? Is he still one of the, the you know, the seventh or eighth man off the bench? Is he maybe taking over some of those point guard duties instead of Kanan and even, you know, MCW being out? Is he maybe the lead point guard off the bench? So, um, you know, I think right now it's just kind of getting him back into the flow of things and, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but I think, you know, before we know it, he'll be in there, I think, regularly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Tyler. Uh, I look at, at the Bulls' second most used lineup, which has been uh, Wade uh, plus all the bench guys. So that's been Wade, Miritich, uh, Cannon, Felicio, and McDermott. And Cannon thus far, I mean, he's gotten he got hot in the game against Brooklyn. Like He, he has his moments where he comes in and he can drill an open shot. But I, I think that as... Uh, Valentine becomes, you know, I think missing a couple weeks in camp was was a huge uh, setback for him. And as, as he becomes more comfortable and Fred Hoiberg uh, comes more trusting with him, that I could see him coming playing over Cannon uh, in that unit, giving the Bulls like another ball handler. Uh, it's not like like Valentine is definitely a negative defensively, but it's not like him playing over Cannon is going to really. Uh, you know, be a huge drop off defensively at all, and I think it gives them a little more versatility around the perimeter, being able to switch uh, between him, Wade, and McDermott. So, yeah, I agree very much that he's a guy who I hope gets uh, develops some comfort level playing in Hoffman Estates, and I could see him sliding above Isaiah Cannon in the rotation. Are you guys surprised that uh, Paul Zipser hasn't played more, given how kind of shallow the Bulls are at wing, and especially after the uh, the Tony Snell trade? Who Tony Snell, even though he kind of he would pop in and out of the rotations last year, he was still a pretty consistent face, and they haven't really they haven't really found someone, I guess, to slot in. Um, on the other way, I, I mean, I guess they do have Jimmy Butler back at the three again, so that kind of curves how many uh, how many people they need to roll out the backup wing. But I'm still surprised. I thought that the, I thought that trading Tony Snell was kind of a sign that Zipser was going to get bumped up into the rotation immediately. And so far, he's only averaging five minutes a game, and he's only played in three of their games. Yeah, Zipser hasn't really done anything. He, he's like he's another guy similar to what Portis kind of looked like last year, where uh, things are moving really, really fast in his head. And um, he did he had that hot preseason game, but uh, so far, like his shot is just like very slow developing. He just is not very agile. Like he's definitely not a three. Uh, I don't think he'll be able to stay in front of wings at, at this level. And um, and if you think of him as just a four, and you're adding him to that long list of guys with Gibson, Miritich, Portis, and he is definitely behind all of them. Yeah, I think he, he kind of reminds me of like a little bit more athletic Joel Ingles from Utah, just kind of his build and the way he kind of plays a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think he's definitely going to become a fixture for the Windy City Bulls this year once their season tips off. I think he'll spend a lot of time down there. I think he's talented. I think we all know that. But um, he probably just won't get as much time with the way this team is going right now. Um, but I think maybe next year and kind of whatever direction this team goes for moving forward, I think he definitely, you know, has some sort of future with them, but it's just not going to be this year. Real quick, Tyler, I, I love Joe Ingles. I've often said that I am the Joe Ingles of, of <laughs> basketball. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. He's a good player. 
You know, <laughs> I could I set a screen. If I got it, someone someone's got to lay a dirty foul. I'll do a dirty foul. <laughs> He's got that old man noon ball game. <laughs> That's me, old from the start. Hey George, can we talk about one last thing? Uh, Jimmy Butler has been awesome. He he has been so awesome. He looks healthy. I think last year he never really fully came back from that knee injury. This year he is so dangerous off the dribble. Nobody can stay in front of him. He's getting to the line a ton. Uh, he has been so fun to watch. I think. He, you know, it's it's funny you mention that because I mean, there's been so much that's been made about Wade's unbelievable three point shooting so far that Jimmy's quietly shooting. 47 the exact same percentage from three actually as Dwayne Wade is on actually they're this is pretty wacky they're both shooting three and a half attempts from three per game and they're both making them at a 47.6 percent clip and so much has been made about Wade's great shooting even though he's only shooting 42 percent overall from the field that yeah a lot of people have slept on Jimmy shooting 48 percent and he's shooting he's having already a great bounce back year from three so he has been he has been fun to watch i do hope that he kind of becomes a little more involved in the offense because in the games that i've seen it's we haven't really seen much point jimmy and i point jimmy last year in the games that we saw was i thought he was pretty fun to watch even then you know i know a lot of people are like oh they don't want him to do too much leadering but i think that he, I mean, he's clearly the best player that the Bulls have, and I think that they're going to, going forward, I, if they want to be successful, they're going to need to start running more of the offense through him explicitly. And he's been, I, I guess so far, he, yeah, he really has shown that he's more than capable of shouldering the load, and he's it's been very efficient, and I hope he can keep it up. One thing that I am keeping an eye on with Butler is how he's going to handle his defensive responsibilities given the you, – even more increased role he's taken on offense. It's obviously only been six games, but Jimmy has not blocked a shot yet this season and is only averaging 0.7 steals. And that's those are typically a couple categories where he's a lot more active. Uh, they're not the best way to measure defense, but they're usually pretty indicative, especially for a guy like Jimmy who's kind of on the, on the wings and breaking up passes, things like that. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on if his defense slips with the increased offense. Do you think switching his position back to small forward is uh, tied to that in any way? I think that just because he's going to be guarding the biggest threat um, on the wing either way, it probably doesn't make the biggest difference. But if he's taking on some different responsibilities, especially playing next to Wade, who I'm guessing is going to have some lazy tendencies this season as he has the last few it's definitely – it could be tough just for Jimmy to kind of replicate what he's done because he's asked to do more on that side as well. I have a yeah, yeah, I think oh, – sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, uh, one thing I've noticed defensively is there's a lot of switching. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a big and a guard or two wings, but the Bulls are switching almost everything defensively. So I wonder – I don't know if this might just be not even relevant, but I wonder how much of switching – constantly on defense is that having any sort of impact on maybe those statistics you guys think or is that just maybe irrelevant or what are you guys' thoughts on that new scheme from the Bulls? yeah well my 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 hypothesis as to maybe why uh some of his steals or the box score numbers are down is because wade and rondo are such gamblers when it comes to steals maybe butler has the mentality that he needs to be more the safety net for the team kind of hang back and play more solid team defense. You know, last year and in years past, 
something that he's been so good is reading the pass, like the like a skip pass or something being thrown uh, a ball around the perimeter and just being able to jump it like a cornerback and take it all the way for a dunk or an easy easy transition basket. Maybe just because he understands that there's a lot of other guys in the team trying to make a similar play that he has to kind of hold himself back. But, I mean, I don't have any empirical evidence to back that up. Just, just an, an idea. With regards to the switching, I've also noticed that, and I, my opinion on it is pretty simple. It seems like a pretty bad idea. Uh, it seems like they're switching um, lots and lots of pick and rolls without really evaluating if it's a good idea or not, and it's burned them on a lot of different plays. So I think they're going to have to change that strategy soon, or they're going to keep falling towards the bottom of the league defensively. Yeah, I remember during the Knicks game the other night, um, you know, over switching's great in theory. I mean, everybody wants to play defense like Golden State did last season and like Golden State wants to. But when you're doing it with the Bulls roster, you end up with situations where Kristaps Porzingis is posting up Isaiah Kanan, and that, that just can't happen for any reason at all. And I remember when that, I remember seeing that. Uh, while the Knicks were in the middle of a run, uh, I believe to put the game away, and I, and I just remember thinking how much of a problem that was going to be all season if they continued to commit to that defensive philosophy. And then we saw it again last night with the uh, the Pacers, where guys were just switching constantly on defense so that and trying to keep someone in front of a man at all times and. It just led to a lot of breakdown, and it led to uh, the Pacers getting way too comfortable in their offensive sets. And I think Stacey King talked about it a lot, I believe, on the broadcast around during the third quarter when uh, it was clear the Bulls weren't really going to get back into the game at that point. And, you know, it was it was starting to become apparent the reasons that they were losing and the Pacers were able to keep hitting their shots. I agree. All right, well, if, uh, if, that, if that's it from everybody, I think that uh, this was a nice another discussion we had. Um, Hopefully the Bulls can snap out of this three-game skid. I believe they will play tomorrow night against the Orlando Magic. So hopefully they can bounce back up to above 500 and uh, keep some good momentum going. Uh, guys, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, I look forward to doing this with you guys again soon. Uh, Jake, congratulations on your inaugural podcast, and uh, we look forward to having you here for many, many more going forward. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to a whole season of it. All right, go Bulls. Take care, guys. Bye, George.